Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with Inez Mergel, who is the author of the new book, Social Media in the Public Sector, A Guide to Participation, Collaboration, and Transparency in the Networked World. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Thank you. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and I have the pleasure to talk with the author of Social Media in the Public Sector, A Guide to Participation, Collaboration, and Transparency in the Network World, Networked World, published by Jose Bass. And Ms. Mergo, how, how are you today? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure. I, I enjoyed uh, the, the two books, the books that, that sort of are, are released together, and I want to talk about that. But before we get to the actual book, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your background and what came before this book? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm an assistant professor here at the Maxwell School at Syracuse University, and I'm teaching about information management to our MPA students. Um, and I started here in 2008, and that was in the middle of the first Obama presidential campaign. And um, I was assigned to teach an e-government class and immediately switched my whole syllabus up and, and only talked about social media for the rest of the semester. And, and that's really how I got started and in being interested in how public managers can potentially use the value that social media can offer them um, in regular and routine governing operations. Yeah, and you, uh, and I want to talk sort of about the, the actual mechanics of the book, but you, you collaborated at least in, in part of this with, with Bill Greaves. Yes. Um, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the, the collaboration, how that contributed to your to, to the writing. Yeah, so that, that's kind of interesting, and I think it's a new way of thinking about writing because um, the, the publisher approached me in 2011 and said, you know, we need a book on social media. There's so much out there in the business world, but we don't really know how this might work in the public sector. And I had been collecting lots of data. Um, I talked to a lot of social media directors, um, especially in the in the federal uh, government and wrote up a, uh, a few case studies in the local government, and there I noticed that there's not that much uh, enthusiasm. There was not a lot of knowledge about, you know, what can we do, how should we do this? And uh, and the publisher then asked me, why don't you also write a field guide so that practitioners can take what's kind of academic and uh, dry maybe <laughs> in, in my my main book and team up with someone um, in the local government who knows the language, who, who knows how to talk to his peeps. <laughs> that, that was actually the, the context. And then we thought, wouldn't it be great to have a book that people can have on their desk uh, and the mayor walks in and tells them, hey, let's do this social media thing, um, and then they are left to their own devices, and they really don't know how to do it. They don't know what the legal requirements are. They don't know what they need to do in terms of um, data management, in terms of who should set up the accounts and so on. So we put together uh, best practices that we observed, and I teamed up with Bill Greaves, who is um, now the CIO of um, Wayne County, and um, he was recently named the most social CIO in the country by um, the public CIO magazine. So I thought that was a great um, collaboration to do this. Yeah, yeah, and I, and you and in reading the book, you can you can sort of see the way that you're speaking to um, a number of different audiences. And in fact, you begin the book by describing the variety of audiences 
that you hope to speak to. So, you know, before we get to the actual meat of the book, who, who do you hope reads this book? Who, who are your target audiences? Yeah, so for the main book, um, obviously I hope that my peers in, in public administration and political science um, might find it interesting to use it in their e-government classes. Um, but I also think it can be used more broadly um, by academics um, to understand how we can use social media for the three main objectives of the Open Government Initiative, participation, collaboration, and transparency. And the second book, The Field Guide, um, we see um, different audiences. So obviously the people on the ground who have to do this on a daily basis, and we need that step-by-step -step guide. But then also we think it's really important that top managers read this because they are the ones who have to ultimately say, yes, we have additional resources for that. Or they need to understand what does it mean that we have 100 followers or 1,000 followers, and what do the comments mean? What do I need to do in terms of supporting my staff to get it right? Um, so we need those two audiences to read the book. Yeah, and uh, you could picture this book being, um, particularly the field guide, being handed around an office and, and dog-eared copies, and maybe we can you'd encourage people to buy more than one copy so that it doesn't have to be passed around to every one of the office. But you could really, it's written in that way, and, and I, I could, you could really picture it having worked in some of these offices and, and see you know, really how seat of the pants so many of these technology uh, investments are, are made and, and this uh, maybe helps do it a little little less in an ad hoc way. Yeah. So um, part of what this book is about is, is uh, terminology mm -hmm. and clarifying what what is terminology that often floats around, but it's unclear sometimes when pe what people are referring to when they refer to something like Web 2.0. So just to start, what is Web 2.0? How does it relate to what you're talking about here? Well, there are obviously different terms out there. Um, so the way that was defined back when Tim O'Reilly came up with the term was that there's a, a new generation of the Internet. So Internet doesn't have to be static anymore, um, but the second version of the Internet, the 2.0 version, is highly interactive. It includes all the social networking platforms that we got to know, like Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Um, so it's really about the bi-directional information exchanges. And, um, and to translate that into the, the public sector, it means that government opens up additional channels um, beyond the static, relatively static website, um, where government is the only author to submit information and inform the public through their website, and they don't really know who comes to their website because of the cookie policy that most people are still following. Um, they don't really look at, you know, are we reaching the right citizens or not? And with social media, that opens up completely new communication channels. And um, um, for those agencies who do it right, at least in my point of view, they also allow um, on their Facebook page, they open themselves up for comments. They, they actively go through the comments um, that people and the citizens are willing to leave for them. They're answering questions. Um, they, they, they look what kind of issues people are discussing. Um, but they are also very aware of, of, of the limitations that, you know, if, if you are working on a really dicey topic, you could get 500 comments. Um, that's an absolute exception, obviously. Um, usually it takes a while until social media picks up, um, until it gets really overwhelming. Um, but yeah, social media is for governments and, you know, thinking in the, in the 
comparison to e-government, it's it's not static. It's highly interactive. It opens government up to um, new in information venues um, where citizens can bring information and questions into government. Um, they can make suggestions. Um, government can actively go out and ask for their opinions and then include the opinions and the solutions that citizens might potentially have into the decision-making process. Yeah, this, this reminds me of a, uh, a podcast that we did over the summer with uh, Dave Karp, who was writing about um, uh, not really sort of government work, but more on the campaign side mm -hmm. and the integration of new media into political campaigns. And, and, you know, what he was describing was a similar kind of um, issue of, you know, what do you do when, when information now can move both directions? Mm -hmm. um, what do you do with your audience? How do you relate to your audience when they now want uh, a seat at the table? Mm -hmm. They want to participate in a certain way. Um, That's an interesting point, if I might interrupt you, um, because please. I think there is a huge difference between presidential campaigning and especially how members of Congress and when they are in office, how they use social media um, and then compare that to a regular government agency. Because um, campaigning is oftentimes, it has an end. It has one specific goal. Um, it's focused on one specific person. And um, after a year or maybe three months, it's over. And it's all about uh, branding and, you know, attacking each other showing how much better you are and your statistics and, and what you've accomplished and so on. And that's very different. The tone is very different. The type of information that you're sharing is very different in government when you are an agency that needs a steady communication paradigm that where you really just want people to trust the information that you put out there. You might want to use social media to reach people where they are right now because they are on Facebook and Twitter and that's where you can reach them. But what you need to do is, in government is provide a very steady voice. This is not about creating a hype, creating peaks, um, you know, being in competition with other agencies. It's not like you're not constantly branding yourself as being the best DMV in the country. <laughs> you know, you don't want to attract mm -hmm. the whole country to come to your agency. It's all about jurisdiction, but obviously you also want people to trust you. So you can't, you know, just... Um, quote bogus studies and then withdraw the information because your opponent proved you wrong. That's not what government social media uses us about. So, so then succinctly, what, what is it about? What is, what is a, uh, an agency, be it at the federal level or, or whatever level of government they, they operate at, what do they stand to gain from investing in all the different ways that an agency can invest in, in social media? What do they stand to gain? Uh, how will this advance their 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 governmental mission? Yeah, um, so we still have to do quite a bit of work to understand um, what they can gain and, and really prove that with numbers. That's that's one of the, the things that I'm working on right now to to understand what the metrics are that we can apply and compare that to other types of interactions. Um, but social media. Um, is one of the ways that government can increase trust in government information. Um, you might have seen the, the recent Gallup studies where um, they say that uh, over 80% of, of the citizens don't trust the information that they receive from government. Um, that certainly has a lot to do with presidential campaigning, with politicians um, being out there. And um, so some of that is then also 
reflected on government in general, um, the notion that government is really slow and not innovative. Um, um, so what social media can do is try to, um, first of all, reach citizens in the first place because they mm-hmm. can't do that necessarily with their websites. Um, rarely do citizens have um, the White House as their homepage. Um, they go to their local newspaper sites to get their information or to weather.com, those kinds of sites, but they rarely go to a, um, a government website, uh, and they're organized in very weird ways, usually, especially local government websites. Um, so one way to use social media is to get into the awareness stream of citizens, and that's on social media. So you are checking your Facebook account in the morning, and you're looking at what your friends are talking about. And, and if those same stories pop up several times, then that's probably something you should also pay attention to. Um, and that's where um, social media comes in. Um, think about Sandy, for example, the hurricane recently. Um, um, if, if government can't reach um, citizens um, via their own, so, uh, own website, they can certainly reach them through their, through their social networking sites and say, you know, you should seek shelter, or here is how you can prepare or here is in your region where you can find shelter, these kinds of things. Um, so that social media has proven really effective um, during events like that. And then hopefully you gain enough trust that people then also want to hear from you throughout the year um, for other types of events um, and then direct them to information that you're posting officially on your website. Yeah, and so – if this was all so easy, we would all be doing it, but, but obviously there are some barriers. Mm-hmm. You, you quote a social media director on page 59 of the book, and they say, um, quote, uh, I would say that the biggest hurdle is probably a culture issue. So how is the culture of government a barrier to uh, more extensive use of social media? And, and is this uniform across government, or is this more heterogeneous in terms of the cultural barriers that exist? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the, the main barrier is that um, communication is um, very hierarchical and high, highly regulated in government. Um, we oftentimes talk about the press release um, information paradigm that um, there is a routine in place how um, content that should go up on the website or that should be distributed to the public is generated. Um, someone drafts the first press release, um, then it goes to their manager. They are vetting the information, and it goes to a council, and they say, yes, all the information is correct. So it goes through many iterations until you see the final product that is then sent out to um, journalists or is uploaded to the website. And um, with social media, um, you can obviously recycle a lot, lots of the content that, that goes up on the website or is faxed or emailed to, to journalists. Um, but, but, the, but the difference here is that um, citizens have different uh, expectations for the type of communication that they are then expecting from government. Um, so, and that's where I described that in the book, that most of the adoption is very much driven by expectations of citizens, that um, social media directors or PR um, or communications directors have observed that their citizens want to be in touch with them on social media, um, and then they started to experiment with it. Um, that is not really true for all the agencies. Most of the agencies actually have um, in their browsers, they block um, access to Facebook or Twitter. Um, so, so most, um, I, would, I would probably say still 80% in this country can't even think about using social media on behalf of the agency or they can't even experiment with it. 
um, because it's blocked in their browsers, and and they're afraid that if they, or if you know, if it's not blocked, then they're afraid that if they are spending too much time browsing around on Facebook or Twitter, HR will be alerted, and then it goes down the ranks. And um, so it's still kind of seen as a distraction, and not mm-hmm. seen as a professional tool to actively reach out to citizens. And so would it then follow that that agencies who have a sort of more discernible uh, client base are going to be sort of more active in this? And those agencies, uh, let's say, you know, like the uh, Department of Interior, that whose client group is maybe less defined and, and is, is less varied, um, maybe won't have as great a stake in this? Is it is it going to be determined at all by, by who's listening or who they're trying to communicate to? Yeah, so the way that I describe it with Bill in the field guide is that we shouldn't um, look at social media just as a tool that we need to use because everyone is using it right now. Instead, what we suggest is that people should start with the mission of the organization. If your mission is to simply supply um, scientific information about earthquakes, um, then that's a very informational and educational mission, uh, and there's little room for discussion. But if you're extending your mission and you say you also want to hear from citizens and uh, and ask for their input, um, say, you know, the uh, Did You Feel It campaign at USGS, um, so where the, where the paradigm all of a sudden changes, it's no longer just about the scientific information but also how, did, how are citizens impacted by an earthquake. Then you are changing your mission, you're broadening it. And, and so we suggest that it should all be mission-driven. So ask yourself, um, what are your core tasks? Um, how, how do you accomplish them? And wh- how can social media add to this um, and the way that you are accomplishing them right now? So the, the technology question should be really the last question. Um, it's much more important to understand what you do for whom are you doing this, and then where are the people and who is listening or who is your audience that then determines, um, is it Facebook, is it Twitter, is it a wiki? Um, so, so the technology itself is, should not be the first question for us. So in the book, you, you refer um, to the process of institutionalizing mm-hmm. or, or formalizing social media. And when I was reading this, I just could imagine those people who developed Twitter and Facebook and and others just cringing at this. Um, There's this paradox in trying to institutionalize a technology that has sort of grown up in the wilds of the Internet, where institutions are an anathema to many. Um, Sort of walk me through this paradox and and how, how organizations that have done it right walk this tightrope between the very open flexible nature of, of Twitter and Facebook where you can post something one second and post something different another second and and yet the need for, for government institutions to to be formal and to formalize processes knowing that if they don't they're not going to be effective or there's going to be pushback so is that a, is that tension or paradox a real one it is very much so the way that I approach it in the book is that I thought about um, how do we implement e-government or any kind of technology in government? How, how do we 
implement innovations, um, and usually it's a very much top-down decision process. Um, sure, there's some experimentation that usually comes out of the IT department where they say, okay, we need to um, implement a new email tool, and then they are working on different um, with different vendors, they are looking into different options and so on, they are testing it for a while, then, then they are one department adopts it first, and then it kind of spreads uh, across the organization. But you need resources for it. You need to have top-down uh, management approval for it. Um, there's a rollout process. And um, with social media, that kind of acquisition process didn't really happen. At least that was my observation um, with the interviews that I've conducted with the social media directors and the federal agencies. Instead, what happened was... Um, there was some wild experimentation at the beginning, um, and that might be because it, it's not coming out of the IT department. It was not driven by the, the formal decision to adopt a new technology. Instead, there were communication people who said, you know, this is the new way of communicating with the public, and we get so many requests from the public to do this, so let's just try it. Um, we're just setting up an account, um, see what happens, if we can even gain some followers and so on. And then some of them were really surprised by the success that they had. Um, and so then they had to um, basically go to their top management and say, hey, these are the anecdotes that we have here. We really see that people want to be in touch with us. Um, so we need, to, we need your approval. And so re retroactively, kind of, they, they got approval. Um, and then um, as, as more and more tools were accepted, um, people had to come up with policies, and that's where I talk about the institutionalization process. And you're, you're moving from just experimenting a little bit, seeing what's out there and how it works, to, oh, wait a second, if we allow our organization to set up their own Twitter accounts, then we better also have um, communication rules in, uh, in place. And, and so then slowly people drafted their first social media policies where it said, okay, this is how, this is the naming convention, this is what kind of content is appropriate, this is how you should comment um, if someone leaves a comment for you, this is how you reply to it. Um, this, these are the people who should be uh, allowed to, to, you know, play a role in social media and so on. So um, we've seen that especially um, with the Army social media handbooks. Um, they move from just a general description of these are the allowable tools and, and this is what Facebook and Twitter and Foursquare is um, to a more refined version um, in their second year where they said, uh oh, um, if you're using location-based services in the Army, please make sure that you are always a member of the military and um, please don't give out um, uh, mission-relevant information because um, there are terrorists out there. <laughs> So, right. so they right. had to refine the process over time. And then lastly, um, recently in 2012, they came up with a new manual where they said, uh, you know, everyone is using mobile, so we also need to regulate how you can use um, social media on your mobile phones. Yeah. So as, as sort of we wind down here, I wonder if you could just talk briefly to the cynics out there. Mm -hmm. And and one of – there are – many cynical perspectives on, on social media and technology, but, but I think this, the strain of one of them, particularly in the public administration literature, sort of might work to the effect of if, if the, the larger goal is transparency and open government, that what, what some organizations might use social media for is, a, is kind of a um, very limited form of transparency. 
um, that they're they're giving a voice, but it's it's a voice in such a you know 140 character world that that voice will never be meaningful and substantial because you know how could you actually ask real questions or be critical of government if you only had you know a sentence and a half to communicate yourself so is is there is there a side to this what what do you say to the the, the cynic out there that says you know, this is not what we exactly meant by open government. This isn't what we meant by a transparent government. Mm-hmm. Um, what we meant is is something um, different. Yeah. Um, yeah, Twitter is obviously one of those tools um, that attracts most of the criticism because people do say things like you just mentioned. Well, in 104 characters, you can't have a conversation or how do you – relay information in just 140 characters. That's very true. Um, I I do see the limitations as well. Um, But it is a tool to also pull in information from the public. Um, You can um, say this is our new initiative. Um, For example, point people to challenge.gov and say, here are new contests. We want to create a new awareness campaign for, say, things like let's move or something like that. And um, and then, um, you know, Go out, find the right networks that are already talking about these issues like obesity on Twitter. Um, directly target them on Twitter and say, come on, we want your opinions on this other platform where you have so much more space to actually have a conversation with us where you can submit much, larger, uh, much longer comments and so on. So Twitter is a great tool to also pull in people um, and point them to the original content where you want them to interact with it. Yeah. I really enjoyed the book. What's next for you? What is the the next project? Are you staying in this realm, or or are you shifting at all? What's what's next on your desk? Well, I think with social media, there's still so much um, to do and to learn. Obviously, um, I'm hoping that the book um, can inspire people to go out and do much large, larger um, surveys um, of you know the whole country, maybe or specific types of uh, agencies, um, emergency responders, for example. I think there's huge potential in there um, to see um, how they are using social media or how they could potentially use it. Um, What's next for me is to understand what the right metrics are um, to see if social media actually has an impact for government uh, and makes them more transparent and collaborative and participatory. So I'm I'm working with um, IBM and... um, and hopefully, again, with the social media directors to, to reach out to them, um, we interview them and see how they are measuring what they actually do. And we want to go beyond um, just the quantitative measures. So just say, you know, in comparison, we have 10,000 followers more, so we're doing something right, which is not always um, the greatest indicator. Um, and um, I'm also really excited that Obama was reelected just to see how um, they're using the new innovations that we saw um, during the second presidential campaign um, and how they use social media and how that is now then moving into into government. Um, so that's all next for me. Great. The book recently published, Social Media in the Public Sector, A Guide to Participation, Collaboration, and Transparency in the Networked World, is published by Jose Bass. Um, Inez, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for your support.